Hallelujah. Glad you're here today. Yeah, Pastor Matt was right. Um, I feel like this is a very important message for the season that we're in, and especially for the seasons that we're going into in the future. Um, I started last week, and honestly, we're going to be continuing along those lines. We're not really getting into finances yet. There's no use teaching about finances and what the Word says about finances unless you know that God is good. Because if you don't know that God is good, no matter how many principles you learn, you're not going to receive from them because you're not convinced that God wants to bring to pass what he's already promised in your life. I'll say it again. If you are not completely convinced that God is good, you'll never rise to the level of faith that it will require to receive the manifestation of those promises. Are you getting this? Understand how the kingdom of God operates, okay? To just kind of tie it up real quickly, this is how the things work. From, from Genesis chapter 1, few, first few verses, this is what happens. God has grace, yes? Yes, yes or no? Yes. God has grace, right? Yes. But he's given us faith. Right? You, see how you, you see how you got weak there? <laughs> see how you got weak there? He's given us, the Bible tells us in the Romans, he's given us the measure of faith. Okay, I think it's common sense to understand that he's given us the measure of faith that's needed to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. And then from there we go on, right? Amen. Okay. So, so here's how it works. This is what some people don't understand. Okay, you say, I have faith. I have faith. He, has grace. he has grace. I need his grace. I need his grace. Therefore, I release my faith. Therefore, I release my faith. You see how you slack down a little bit with that last, that last phrase. Say it again, therefore I will release release my faith faith so that he can release release his grace. grace. You get that? Everything operates that way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then it says that something happened. We don't know what happened, but something happened where darkness came upon the earth. When we get to heaven, we're going to say, Jesus, can you please do a seminar and teach us what happened between verse 1 and verse 2? Something happened because God doesn't create anything empty, void, and darkness. So we know something happened. But then it tells us, okay, go look it up. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3, to start the beginning. tells us that the Holy Spirit was hovering. Go do this, do this, go ahead, do this. Hovering, hovering. Come on, some of you are not telling it. The Holy Spirit was hovering over all this confusion and chaos and darkness. Yes or no? And then God said, let there be light. So so here's the principle that we see there. The Holy Spirit is hovering over your life, over the chaos, over the confusion, over the darkness, waiting for you to say something. Well, he's the spirit of grace, okay? And we release his The desire that he has to meet your needs is so strong. But he needs us to say something. You got born again by what? Saying something. You confessed with your mouth what you believed in your heart. And salvation came, bam, right? It works the same way in everything else in the kingdom of God. So it's so important for us to say the right things, to speak in alignment with what God is saying, not with the circumstances we see, Remember, I think I talked about this last week or at some point somewhere in the last couple of weeks. Our Father, who art in heaven. Go ahead, say it with me. Let's make believe, you know, we're in the old church we used to be in. (laughs) 
our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. Stop. That's why we pray. When we speak, we're speaking God's word so that the kingdom of God as it is in heaven can come upon the earth. When you keep acknowledging the wrong things you're seeing, you're enforcing the kingdom of the earth instead of the kingdom of, of God. So that's why you need to know that God is good. So that when you have tragedies in your lives, adversity in your life, you don't become like a foolish person and say, how did God let this happen to me? Do you understand there are two forces at work here in the earth right now? Yes, thank God we're in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. But we are on a planet that is still under the curse, okay? And until Jesus returns, Satan is still little g, God of this earth. We're here to enforce the kingdom of God on earth until Jesus gets here. He told occupy until I return. Amen? Amen. So even in our singing of our songs like we did this morning, we're enforcing to the kingdom of darkness, yeah, you're still up there, you're still hanging out, you're still influencing things on the earth, but not here, not in my life, not in this place, not while I'm still here. You get this. That's the responsibility we have. We need to know that God is good. Okay, let me review real quickly for those that were not here last week. Psalm 145, verse 9. Read it with me real quick. The Lord is good to all. How many? To, to how many? All. To all. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Next, next psalm. Oh, taste and see. Come on, come on. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Next one, Psalm 107, I believe it is. Yeah. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? Good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, but pastor, I know there's sometimes that things happen that are bad. That are good. Whereas Jesus made it so simple, you have to complicate it to get it wrong. John 10, 10. For the thief comes to rob, kill, destroy, I have come, Jesus is saying, I have come that they, all throughout the ages, not just the people he was talking to at that point, that they may have what? Life, Life and have it to what extent? Abundant. More abundantly. He's telling us, if it comes to rob, kill, and destroy, I didn't send it. It's the devil. If it comes to bring life to you and bring you into a place of super abundance, then it's coming from him. Wow, how difficult is that? Amen. It's not, right? We try to make it difficult. Tragedies happen. Even Christians sometimes go, well, I don't know why God let this happen. What are you, a dummy? What are you, are you out of your mind? We're in that period where there's this struggle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. But guess what? The battle's already been won, but the fact is we have to walk through it. Amen. All right, let me get back to you here. So, when you read the scriptures without stained glass windows in your eyes, without man's tradition, and without religion, you come away with the truth that God desires good for us. Jesus himself wanted to establish this. Go to Luke chapter 12. Again, this is review. I'm going to try to do this as quick as possible. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Look at that, look at that, look at that. One thing that people are dealing with, we can have a an altar call every service every day for anxiety and we'd have this place filled because yeah. everybody's always challenged in this area 
unless you got some real good medication. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying here? We have the opportunities every day to get anxious. And he's telling us, don't get anxious. But how are we not going to get anxious? Unless we know that he's good, unless we know that his heart is for us and not against us, then we're going to be anxious. Amen? Where was I? Verse 30. For all these things, the nations, and that word really refers to unbelievers, people that are not connected to God, seek after. For your father knows you need these things. Your father knows he needs these things. Ready? One, two, three. Your father knows you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added. Do not fear. Let's look at, look at, he's dealing with the anxiety right here. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the what? Kingdom. And so many of us are spinning our wheels trying to build our own kingdoms. Let me say it. My kingdom, God's kingdom. My kingdom, God's kingdom. Guess which one I'm going with? God's kingdom. His resources are unlimited. Amen? So, here it is. John 10, 10. The thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy. I have come to give them life and more abundantly. Third John, the third, the third letter that John wrote to the church after the Gospels. Third John, verse 2. I love this. How much clearer can you get? This is the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John writing to the church, letting the church know the desires of the Father in heaven. Do we understand that or not? Yeah. Okay, so then why do we treat some of the scriptures in the, in the Bible like they're optional? Well, it's nice if it happens. No, this is the heart of the Father. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul. Say it again, just as your soul prospers. Why is that? Because God is a good steward. He's a good manager. He's a good administrator. He knows who he can trust with things. He knows who he can trust with missions and mandates and, and, and the desires of the heart to be fulfilled here on the earth. He knows who he can trust with. So the more our souls prosper, catch this, because I don't have a lot of time to go into this, maybe in the future you will, as our soul prospers, as our soul, now, as I become healthier in my soul, well, shouldn't that be my spirit? No, my spirit has already been sealed by the Holy Ghost. When you said, Jesus Christ, I believe in you, you're my God, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, your spirit was sealed. That's it. It's perfect in the eyes of God. You don't come to church to make your spirit more perfect. We come to church, we come together so that we can experience spiritual growth in our souls. Amen. When you have problems you, as a Christian, you're not, your problems are not spiritual. They're soulish. The wounds, the hurts, the betrayals, the depression, the oppression, all those things that, that, that torment our minds. Those are, the, now they may be caused by a spiritual issue, yeah. but your spirit is perfect. Okay? Yeah. Our souls is where we have the work to do. Yeah. Learning how to forgive. Learning, learning about the love of God, because maybe some of us feel so unloved that we can't even imagine being loved by another human being. So the more we learn about the love of God, the more that's, that heals part of our soul. I'm talking to somebody this morning. Our soul gets healed. And the more healthy we are in our souls, according to that scripture, he's going to be able to trust us with more. Even with more health. What's the use of him giving us health if we're not going to use it to bless him and to bless others? Are you getting this? This, this, this whole thing, that's what this is all about. Getting what God wants us to have because he knows there's somebody in our life that needs it. 
and then we get to enjoy the blessing of pouring that out, whatever it is. Forgiveness, love, patience, compassion, uh, material things. Whatever it is. Time. Whatever it is. As our souls prosper, as we grow up spiritually in the things of God, as we become more and more secure in who we are in Christ, as we, as we allow the enemy to have less and less influence on our lives, which will cause us to be intimidated, insecure, anxious. As, as, we, as we resist those things, our souls become more healthy and we're, more, we're able to be more of a blessing to other people. I'm not gonna ask for anybody to show their hands. But listen to me, you know darn well, if you've ever, ever had a season in life where you became an emotional wreck, when we're in those seasons, we're no good to anybody. Are you getting this? We're no good to anybody. We need somebody else who's not in that same season to be used by God to comfort us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to kind of point the way sometimes. We need our soul. We can't always walk around being, being loaded down with baggage and loaded down with, oh, pastor, if you only knew what I grew up with. Oh, come on, will you please pack it up, wrap a ribbon on it, put it on the side, and let's get on with life, okay? Let him heal you. Let him heal you. Otherwise, you're going to be like Marley's ghost. Remember Marley's ghost with the chains? Dragging those chains, dragging those chains. Come on. You ever get tired of hearing somebody's chains? Oh, Jesus, give me one of those bolt cutters so I can get you free. <laughs> Stop it already, okay? I know, you, we know, we know, okay? Well, he doesn't have any compassion. Honey, <laughs> compassion gets you, gets you on the road to healing, but it's the truth of the word of God that brings healing. Amen. You can't, the more you keep rehearsing, oh, I'm talking to somebody, I better turn around when I say this one. <laughs> The more you keep rehearsing the hurts and the wounds and betrayals, and your ears keep hearing you saying the same stuff, and your soul goes, oh, God, oh, yeah, I remember what that felt like. Let him heal you. Go pour yourself into somebody else's life. Because as you pour out, he pours in. Man, I, I got to get back here in my notes here. So understand, grasp the reality of Jesus' mission and goal. Jesus is the second Adam. I'm still reviewing here, so store up your energy for the message itself. Jesus is the second Adam that came to restore all that the first Adam lost on earth. Understand that. If you don't understand that, you're going to walk around like this constantly. I'm a child of God. Grow up. See yourself as part of this. Jesus, the second Adam, came to restore all that the first Adam lost. What did he lose? Relationship with God eternal life. What did he bring in? What did Jesus come to bring? Freedom from sickness and disease. Dominion. Say that with me, please. Dominion. Now understand this, okay? You got to have, the more humility you walk in, the more dominion you walk in. Because I've been in this thing for 39 years, and I've seen a lot of cocky Christians walking around. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a king of the most high God. I have authority. I have, oh, be quiet. Why don't you just stop with your pride and your arrogance and your ego and just shut up? Okay? The more we walk in humility, understand, what is humility? Understanding who God sees us as. He wants us to walk in lordship. He wants us to walk in rulership. He wants us to walk in dominion over all the earth. He put all the resources here for his people to administrate, to steward, to manage, to distribute. 
Are you getting this? But if you're still seeing yourself, well, Pastor Joe, I'm just a weak old worm in the dust. What, are you kidding me? Jesus did die on the cross for a weak old worm. Jesus died on the cross to bring you to redemption, to bring you to restoration, to put you back in that position of authority that when you get up in the morning, the devil goes, oh my God, they're up again. Not in a haughty sense. Turn to somebody and say, stop with the haughtiness. Walk in humility. That's what it's all about. Walk in humility. All right, so here's where we're heading. When we walk in the knowledge of these facts of who Jesus is and what he came to do, our souls prosper. Prosperity, okay? Say that word, please. Prosperity. Good. It didn't hurt, did it? Okay. Prosperity is defined as having enough to meet your needs with extra leftover to meet the needs of those on their way to prosperity to the needy and to the sick. Okay, you got that? That's prosperity, okay? In other words, biblical prosperity allows us to be the hands of Jesus to others. It enables us to imitate the generosity of God. I'm going to say that one again. Prosperity enables us to imitate the generosity of God, whether it's prosperity of of love, it's an overflow of love, an overflow of forgiveness, an overflow of compassion, an overflow of just being able to relate to people that are going through tough times, an overflow of time, an overflow of of material things, of food and things of this nature, okay? that's That's what God's positioned us for. But again, I'll come back to this, okay? And, and again, this is very basic. I understand this, but I want to make sure we're on the same page. If you don't have anything, how are you going to help somebody that's in a need? If you don't have anything, how are you going to help somebody that's in need? Amen. Are you getting this? Yes. So, increase in your love. Increase in forgiveness. Increase in compassion, but don't stop with compassion. Compassion sees a person in the hole and goes, I really feel sorry for you. (laughs) Jesus had compassion on people, and it resulted in the anointing. Go read it in the Gospels. Every time it says, and he was moved with compassion, you know what happens next? Somebody's getting healed. Somebody's getting raised from the dead. Somebody's getting fed. Somebody's needs are getting met. Compassion is supposed, that emotion is supposed to put us in a position and go, okay, God, what do you want me to do? I'm sensing this, I'm sensing this, I'm sensing this. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Who was it aimed at? Eh, 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 eh. Who's it aimed at? Amen. Then the Holy Spirit will locate for you who it's aimed at. Yeah. And then you'll, the anointing. <laughs> Watch this now. Not vom. This is anointing this way is Old Testament. Yeah. New Testament is anointing. <laughs> rises up. Why? Because he's in us. Turn to somebody say, he's in there. And the Holy Ghost is always looking for somebody to meet their, he's always looking to meet the needs of someone. But guess who he's going to use to do it? But if you're all in yourself, all up in your own business, you're not going to hear him. Okay. I was reading my notes again this morning. And this is what I heard on the inside. The generosity of God in these last days will be a sign and a wonder to the lost and the unsaved. In times of hardship, sorrow, and lack, but it must start with us first. 
We must allow the promises of God to become a reality in our lives first so that we can make it available to others. Again, you can't give somebody what you don't have. You can't, you can't impact someone with what you have not yet experienced. I'm going to say it again. Think about this in light of the days that we're living in, in light of the days that we're walking into. The generosity of God in these last days will be a sign and a wonder to the lost and the unsaved. Amazing, miraculous displays of generosity. You're going to see. We're seeing it already. Generosity of heart. The generosity of the love of God flowing out from us in a world that is absolutely evil and dark will be a sign and a wonder to those that are lost. Generosity of things. Generosity of material things, finances, those kind of things. Why? Because what, what is their... Well, let me not get into that. Okay. In these last days, but it's got to start with us first. Got to start with us first. Amen. Otherwise, it's the blind leading the blind. It's like, if you haven't experienced salvation, how are you going to tell somebody else about salvation? If you haven't experienced the love of God, how are you going to tell somebody else about the love of God? Oh, yeah, well, I'll just read him the scripture. Honey, it's, it's, it, if it's not experiential, no, if it's not exper- experiential, right, forgive me with the hard words, okay? <laughs> if you, I'll put it, to, if you haven't experienced it yourself yet, yeah. how are you going to translate to someone? Right. How are you going to be a conduit of God to bring his heart to somebody if you haven't experienced that. If you have, by the lies of the enemy, convinced yourself that God can never use you because of something that you did in the past and all this other kind of stuff, that's it. The enemy won. He can't stop you going to heaven. You're still going to heaven. But he clogged that pipeline. And if you don't unclog that pipeline, God, his mercy is there for you, but he's got to get the job done and he'll just pick somebody else. I don't want to get to heaven and him say, I had this for you to do and that for you to do and that for you to do, but your pipeline was too clogged up and I had to fix somebody else. I know, I know for a fact, I was not God's first choice for this. I know that. I knew that when he first told me about starting this church. I knew I was not God's first choice. I know that. But I'm having a ball doing it. Somebody else was supposed to do this. And whatever happened, happened. And, you know, whatever. I'm just having, I'm having the time of my life. I'm almost glad they clogged up their pipeline. <laughs> okay, so. We cannot ignore the fact, nor can we discount the impact of the fact that God the Father wants to take care of his children. Now, this is going to be... You're going, to have to, you're going to have to absorb this really in your, in your soul because so many of us in this room do not have good examples as fathers. And if you're not careful, you will look at God the Father through the eyes of your experience with your natural father. Forgive them. Forgive them. Let it go. Otherwise, you're going to repeat what they did and worse. I'll say it again because it, it, just, it just bounced back in my face when I said that. If you don't forgive, you'll end up doing the same to the next generation and worse 
because that stuff multiplies from generation to generation. Let it go. Forgive. They had their flaws. They had their character issues. If they're still here on earth, forgive them, love them. If, if they've already gone into eternity, let it go. Forgive them. But learn the lesson. Okay? Let your soul prosper in that area. Otherwise, you'll always be looking at God. You're always going to be waiting for him to do what your natural father did to you. Abandon you, reject you, whatever. You, you fill in the blanks. Okay? Amen. Okay? Amen. All right, so let's move in. Let's go into some scripture now. Did we do this last week? I don't remember. All right, let's go. You ready? Yeah. Got to move quick. Got to move quick. Because we took a lot of time in the beginning. Genesis chapter 12. Could you just give me the scriptures from, Je from chapter 1? Excuse me, Genesis 12, verse 1, down to verse 4. Okay? Now the Lord said to Abram, 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 say Abram. Abram. Oh, pastor, that must be written wrong. Because isn't his name Abraham? Not yet. That's another teaching. As Abram's soul prospered, <laughs> he went from Abram to Abraham. Okay? Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house, for land I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Keep going. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed. Does it say he hung around and waited and thought about it? And let me pray. Let me fast. Let me call 15 people and see what they think. What does it say he did? He departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Uh, if I had time, we couldn't go into that. Because you see, Abram didn't have a good example of his father because it seems to indicate in Genesis chapter 11 that God spoke to his father first, but his father only made it to Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and died in Haran. And Abraham stuck there with him and stuck with his nephew Lot, who you all know how that turned out later, okay? So now it's a new generation. God is speaking out to Abram. He departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Lot went with him. Notice Abraham doesn't go, come on, Lot. No, Lot goes, uh, I'm going with you. <laughs> and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, okay? Promises, 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 okay? Notice this. This is God, El Shaddai. That's the, that, that's the, the revelation of God that Abram received was El Shaddai. Later on, Moses receives other revelations. Later on, Daniel receives other revelations. Then the final revelation is in the Lord Jesus Christ. But all throughout the Bible, from Genesis chapter 1, God keeps, I don't want to say reintroducing, but keeps revealing another side of himself, okay? El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, uh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, El Elyon, in the beginning, created heavens and the earth. This continued revelation of who God is, okay? So it's interesting. He introduces himself to Avram as El Shaddai. The all, here, I'm going to give it to you straight out of Hebrew. The all-breasty one, the nourisher, the sustainer. Because what is he promising? Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to increase you. I'm going to make you rich. I'm going to make you this, that, the other thing, okay? Now watch. Listen to this closely, please because the time is going by way too fast. It is an offer. An offer requires cooperation. Listen to me. 
Well, pastor, I just believe God's a sovereign God, whatever he wants to do. Well, it doesn't appear that he presented himself like this to Abraham. He gave Abraham an offer. Leave your family, leave your country, leave everything you're familiar with. Abram could have said, now nah, I'm good. And I'll guarantee you there were many others that probably did before Abram. It's an offer. The promises of God to us are an offer. We cooperate with them. Grace and faith. Are you listening to me? No, because there's so many Christians just sitting around not, not possessing what God's already paid for. Not possess. You know how many people? Every person, every human being that goes to hell did not possess what Jesus died on the cross to make available. I'm going to say it again. Every person in hell is there because they did not possess what Jesus suffered and died a horrible death on the cross to make available. Are you getting this? Yes. It's an offer. We have to cooperate. Notice, God gives us promises to bless us in his word, and they require our cooperation. He who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Flip it. He who does not call upon the name of the Lord shall not be saved. Isaiah 119. You don't have it. Dominic, you're good. Isaiah 119. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. He's telling us, if you cooperate with my principles, it's going to be easy. Here, just receive them. Receive them. Well, Pastor, I wish it was that easy. I know. So we have an enemy that contends for those things. And listen, the enemy has been very successful over the past few years, especially, of getting people who were Christians, solid or appeared to be solid individuals, to say, well, if God is so good, then how come my relative died? And if God is so good, how come this person died? I've got, be careful of that, because we have an enemy that hates us, does things, and then wants us to blame God for it. Be careful of that, Okay. You got it? Yeah. All right. So let me, just, let me just go through here real quick because the time is just flying by here this morning. All right. Let's talk about this for the rest of the time here because, you know, we have another service at 11 o'clock. I, I've only got a few minutes. and guys got to get you out of here, okay? Um, you remember me talking about it's an offer, right? And, and so, so we qualify for things, right? Yeah, let's bring it back to the very basic thing of our understanding, salvation, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, here's the qualifier, for whosoever believes in him shall what? Not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Eternal life, right? So, so, so how do we qualify for that? We place our faith and place our trust in Jesus Christ, right? Okay? So, so we qualify. I didn't say earn. I didn't say work for. Uh, please don't walk out of here saying that, that pastor believes that. I do not believe that. It is all the grace of God, but there's only one way to access the grace of God, and it's by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him because those that come to him must believe that he is and that he's a what? You see how you got quiet? Got quiet. Christians always get quiet in that part. Christians always get, because you see, you really deep down inside don't believe that God is good. 
and he's looking out for the best of you. If you're going to memorize the first part of the verse, memorize the rest of it. Amen. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is, and that he is a, a what? Yeah. Rewarder of those who what? Yeah. Diligently seek him. Qualifier. Yes. Diligently seek him. Yes. You got it? Yes. Now watch. Abram. Starts out as Abram, right? Abram. Okay? Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 13, Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Genesis 15, verse 1. All right, I'm going to start it. You can jump in. After these things. Could you say that with me real nice and loud? After these things. Stop right there. What things? All right, we're going to find out. I know many of you probably heard me teach this already before, but again, this is part of the foundation. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Avram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Avram, for I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. Now, that wasn't part of the promise in Genesis chapter 12. This is an upgrade. Genesis chapter 12 was to get Abram's attention and get him positioned in the land that God needed him to be in. He's obedient. He's cooperating with God. He's placing his trust in God. And so now we come to Genesis chapter 15. But we've got to find out what are the things that cause God to say to Abram, I'm your shield from now on. I'm your great reward. If we were reading this in original language, great reward would be the word, how can I put this in English? Compensator. Better yet. He said to Abram, after these things, because of these things, I am now your paymaster. In other words, Abram, from this point forward, because of what you did in Genesis 14, which is where we're going to go, I am now, now you qualify, Abram, for me to be your paymaster. In other words, you're on my payroll from now on. And with all the benefits and the retirement package. Genesis 14, I'm gonna, I'm, I have to read this real quick and as quick as I possibly can. Uh, Genesis 14, 14. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, talking about Lot, his nephew, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. That's far, okay? He divided his forces against them by night because his nephew Lot had gotten captive, captured by these kings from other areas, okay? Don't have the time to go into details. So, verse 16. So he captures, he captures them. He over, overcomes these enemies. He defeats their armies. Verse 16. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother, which I don't know why it translates brother. It's his nephew, Lot, and his goods, and as well as the women and the people. So this thing takes place. Lot gets captured. Lot, his family, all of his goods, all the goods of the town that he was living in is Sodom, okay? This is before Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed and so Abram goes, recaptures his nephew, gets all the stuff. He's heading back to where he's camped. Look what happens now. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. That is the king's valley, which is right outside of Jerusalem. And his return, after his return from the defeat of that guy and everybody else who was with him. Okay. Verse 18. So he's passing, he's passing by Jerusalem. It's not called Jerusalem at that time. It's called Salem. 
Does that name sound familiar? Salem, Salem, Shalom, okay? Yerushalayim, okay? That's the root word for that city. And Melchizedek, Melech Zedek, the king of righteousness, came out of Salem and brought out what? Bread and wine. Is it starting to sound familiar? Okay. And uh, he was the priest of the Most High God. And he, Melech Zedek, blessed him, Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram of God. <laughs> now he's Abram of God. We're already seeing, we're already seeing the upgrading. Of God Most High, El Elyon. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And look at this now. Look at this now. Don't get hung up on this. We're going to talk about it in the future. And he, Abram, gave him, Melech Zedek, a tithe of all. First 10% of all his increase. We're going to talk about this more in the next few weeks. Everybody got nervous. Okay, I'm not coming back next week. Now, watch this now. We're getting close to the qualifier now. We're getting close to the things that God is talking about in Genesis 15. Now, the king of Sodom said to Abram, now remember what the name of the city is there, give me the persons and take the goods. Give me the people. You could take the, you could take the riches. Just give me the people. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God, El Elyon, the Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Qualifier. He could have took it all. Why? He fought for it. What did he do? He made sure that he honored God with 10% of all the spoils that he took in these battles. So what happens in Genesis 15? God says to him, you did good, Abram. You're not, you, you, you've shown that your dependence is not on the riches of this world. You've shown me honor recognizing that it was me that gave you the ability to be victorious in these battles. You've declared your dependence on me. Guess what? Now you work for me. Genesis 15. What happens after that? I'm going to have to paraphrase it. We'll pick it up next week, okay? Because it's, it's 1025 already, and I already went almost 11 minutes over my time. Okay? What happens next? Abram says to God, this is wonderful. I'm working for you. This is great. And it's good that you want to bless me. But who am I going to leave it to? I don't have any kid. I don't have a son. I don't have a son. He goes, and the servant in my household is going to inherit everything when I die. And God goes on and then reveals to him, no, it's not true. You're going to have a son. Okay? And again, Abram says, open my eyes. Let me see what's going on here. And what's hap what happens next is one of the most fascinating things that's recorded for us in the book of Genesis. God says to Abram, go get me a bunch of animals. Get me a sheep, get me a goat, get me whatever. The whole list is in there. You can read it. And he says, split these animals. Sac in other words, slay these animals, split their bodies in half, put one half on one side, one half on the other side. 
Abram knows what this is. It's something that was very prevalent that day. God Almighty is going to make covenant with Abraham, with Abram. Okay? And so at this point, Abram's like, this is cool. Because, you know, if you study his life, he made covenants with other tribes around him so that their strength would become his strength, that his weaknesses would get compensated for by the other people's strength. And that's what a covenant does. So he's excited. And then God goes like this, whoop, and puts Abram in a corner, in a trance, and he's not allowed to participate. He's only allowed to see. And then he sees a vision in the night of this smoking oven, this furnace, and a torch that's lit. And the smoking oven, the burning oven, and the torch do this covenant ceremony and they walk together between the walls of blood and they say this how this animal was slain should happen to me if i break this covenant and the other person says this should happen to me if i ever break this covenant and the torch jesus said i'm the light of the world and the smoking oven the bible tells us in the book of hebrews that god is a consuming fire so now the covenant is made between God the Father and God the Son, while Abram, representing mankind, watches. And I pray that you got that picture because what we're looking at is the cross thousands of years before it happened. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thought we were in covenant, but for their sake, I have to be slain like those animals and my blood has got to just saturate the earth. And who's standing there? Mary, John, the rest of the disciples are not even there. And John is watching, but John can't participate. John is watching, and I'm sure John's heart was burning like, let me just get up, let me take him off the cross, and he can't participate. That's our salvation, folks. We can only watch it with our eyes. We can't participate. We can give him our faith. We receive his grace. But it's all between the Father and the Son on our behalf. We have to go. I will say this first. If there's anybody in this room that has never, as an act of your will, reached out to God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you die, you're not going to be judged by all your good deeds and all that stuff. And it's, God's not going to put you on the scale to see if your good stuff outweighs your bad. He's going to ask you, what did you do with my son? Have you declared him as your Lord? Have you declared him as your Savior? Have you received that grace of God? Have you given him your faith so that the grace of salvation can be released over your life? If you have not yet, please, don't walk out these doors. You have no idea what's facing you this afternoon, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Take care of this today. Amen? Amen. God bless you. I pray that this has impacted your heart somehow. Those of you that need prayer, please come forward. The rest of you, God bless you.